everyone, welcome to this week's edition of Growth Everywhere, where we interview entrepreneurs and bring you business and personal growth tips. Today, we have Sunil Paul from Sidecar. Sunil, how are you doing today? I'm great, and how are you? Doing well. Thanks for joining us. So, Sunil, why don't you tell us a little bit about your, about your background, and then uh, we'll go from there. Uh, yeah, sure. I'm a serial entrepreneur. I'm a CEO of Sidecar. Um, Sidecar is an app that allows people to connect with one another um, to give and get rides through a marketplace. Got it. So pretty much like Lyft and Uber. Uh, similar, except uh, we have uh, we've really pioneered a new category of uh, uh, having a market where drivers are able to set their own prices and show off what they're capable of. And riders choose the specific ride that they want. Uh, so it sets up a dynamic where drivers are competing for uh, the best price. And that's a very different uh, kind of situation compared to other companies where those companies set the prices. Interesting. So I, I've used Sidecar in the past. And did you guys just change this model recently? Yeah, this is within the last uh, three months. Wow. Okay, cool. I'm going to have yeah. to start using Sidecar again. Yeah, uh, try it out. Uh, you know, the Wall Street Journal reviewed us right after we launched this uh, and compared us with um, UberX, Lyft, and taxis across six different cities and, and declared us the winner. Uh, we were the cheapest in, in most of those cities. Got it, man. Yeah, to me, you know, Sidecar was always uh, UberX before UberX became, uh, you know, before UberX happened. So, um, yeah, you know, going to be very, very excited to try it out. So how do you guys, I'm sure you get this question all the time, how do you guys, uh, how do you guys differentiate yourself in terms of, like, uh, I guess in terms of marketing, how do, how do you differentiate yourselves from Lyft and Uber besides the things you just talked about? Well, those are the, the big things. There's a couple of, you know, the reason people use and love sidecars because there's price transparency. You always know the price before you take your trip. Um, very different than competitors. Uh, and the second is that you have, uh, because of the nature of our system, uh, the prices tend to be lower. Um, and we don't have a surge uh, pricing system, mm. and prices are determined by the driver. They're competing for your business. Uh, and so as a result, you've got all this control and a great, um, uh, a, a great price that you know up front. Got it. Cool. So, you know, we always like to talk about user acquisition on, on this podcast. So how, do you, yeah. you know, how did you guys acquire your first 100 customers? That's a good question. You know, I think like a lot of startups, it was just through reaching out to people we already knew. Um, you know, 100 is a, such a, a number that you can, uh, you can run some ads, but you don't actually need to run a lot of ads. It's also at 100, you're still in a test mode, at least for a consumer product. And um, so a lot of it was just reaching out to existing networks. Um, there's a bunch of folks from University of Michigan uh, that are part of Sidecar, uh, part of the founding team, and so uh, that helped a lot, reaching out to the uh, the University of Michigan crowd. Got it, cool. And how are you guys, uh, you know, what, what's working for you guys in terms of user acquisition today? You know, the biggest number one thing that works for us is word of mouth, uh, especially with the new version of, of Sidecar. Uh, People are spreading spreading the word because it is a different experience than it used to be. Um, and then the the uh, important second source of um, uh, customer acquisition is our referral system. Um, you know, being able to 
circulated code, being able to uh, ask other people to to try it out, uh, and they get you know I think right now it's a five dollar uh, coupon. Got it. Okay. Cool. And we do other things as well, you know, digital advertising and um, uh, email marketing, et cetera. But if you ask, what are the big drivers? It's word of mouth and referrals. Okay. Are you guys are you able to talk about the number of drivers you guys have today? Yeah, so we've got thousands of drivers across ten different cities, um, and you know, uh, those are the number that are actually active in a particular week. Okay, got it. And so, obviously, you know, gr- growing a business like this, I mean, I mean, Uber was Uber started out like a like a for fun type of deal, and you know, obviously grew to the scale it's at right now. And I'm sure you guys are fin- facing a lot of different problems too. So, can you talk about one big struggle you face while growing Sidecar? Um. Well, I have to say one of the biggest challenges has been that um, we have competitors with a lot of capital. And so we have really focused on uh, a strategy that is capital efficient and uh, one that is designed to win based on innovation and not just money. So if you look at our uh, things that we've done around marketplace, around um, our incentive programs, they are all organized around the idea that um, that innovation tends to win these markets. Um, there's no question that that money can overwhelm um, a particular market, but if you look at the history of successful companies, uh, they don't win just because they have extra money. Uh, they win because they develop and develop, deploy, and uh, get people to know about the best product. Got it. So, you know, walking back to the whole, I know you guys kind of changed your model three months ago. So what was your whole thought process behind that? Well, in a lot of ways, it was going back to the original vision that we had for Sidecar. Um, We, when Jahan and I were first kind of noodling on, on ideas, this idea of a marketplace was the early concept. And in an effort to try to get things out and also to, to simplify it down to something that we knew would be likely to work. We, uh, you know, we built a, an interface and experience that was very similar to what we'd seen with Uber Black. And, um, and as we have continued to grow and, um, and we, and, and frankly, as, as, um, we've seen growth and, and these large fundraising rounds from others, we have, uh, really gone back to our roots of creating an experience, creating a marketplace that uh, can really scale and scale up to um, to be the largest transportation marketplace, uh, which is which is the ambition that we have. Okay, got it, man. Um, was there any point in time where you know? Sidecar was like on the, on the brink of failure. Was there any point in that that where you had kind of had the, like an oh shit type of moment? <laughs> this is my this is the third company that I've founded and run, and then I've been involved and been an investor in uh, lots of companies. So <laughs> every single one of them has moments where you're you know I, I describe startups as alternating fits of terror and elation like one minute you're thinking oh my god the whole thing's gonna fall apart the next minute you're thinking oh my god this thing is going to the moon (laughs) and so uh yeah i mean there are times at 
at startups where you're just not sure if it's going to work. And there are other times when you're like, oh my God, this thing's going to take over the world. And both those things have happened at Sidecar, continue to happen at Sidecar. Um, I think that the, um, the moments that really uh, kind of keep us going are when we think about, wow, this category, this what we're going after is huge. Um, it's the largest, um, largest opportunity I've ever chased, which is we have an opportunity to make smartphones um, so capable that you don't need a car anymore. And that's kind of a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity. Okay. Yeah, so you, you, I know you, you, you've had those oh shit moments a few times you just mentioned right now with, with Sidecar. So, you know, with, with the whole team, I mean, are they, if they're experiencing those moments, I mean, how do you, how do you keep them motivated? And, and you've done these, these other businesses before, so I, I guess that's, a, that's something that always really, you know, caught my attention. Yeah. Um, you know, the number one job for, uh, for an entrepreneur and for a leader of a company is being able to uh, articulate a vision for where you're headed and, uh, and build a team that connects with that vision and, and cares about uh, cares about the vision and cares about everybody else on the team. Uh, so one of the things I'm very proud of at, at Sidecar is we've built, like we have everyone at Sidecar is committed not just to, not just the vision of like, okay, replace the car with, with uh, a phone, but you know, we are there because we know that we can actually um, make the world a better place. And and we really do mean that. Like, it is, it's kind of core to to uh, the DNA of, of uh, almost every employee there. Um, so I think that's part of the motivation. I think that part of the motivation is like we like each other and we do a lot of things together um, inside work and uh, but also outside of work. Got it. Okay. So with the you know. Touching upon the three companies that you've run in the past before, is there, I know there's the oh shit moments are, are constant, right? You're always going to experience those with any type of startup or any company you've invested in. So what are some other, uh, you know, consistencies or other like constants that you're always experiencing with, with, with running these, you know, or having run these companies in the past? Hmm. Um, well, I think there's, um, like every every company kind of goes through a similar cycle of uh, the you know you're kind of constantly going through a cycle of you have some ideas you're going to test them figure out what not whether whether or not they work and and then iterate on those uh, on those ideas and sometimes you, you find that. Um, you know, you got to kind of go back to the well and, and be even more disruptive in the way that you're thinking about things. Um, we certainly had that at, um, uh, at Brightmail where we uh, had to rethink um, and introduce new capabilities into our product. Um, and, you know, at Sidecar, we created this marketplace experience uh, that is 
that's very different from competitors differentiated. Um, we've been uh, deployed new kind of capability for drivers like uh, uh, what we call back-to-back rides, which is built on top of marketplace and, and, and required destination. And that kind of cycle of, okay, where are we now? What are the things going to move the business the most? And um, how do we know whether or not what we've done it actually fits what the market needs? That's a constant theme. It's part of why it's part of why startups succeed is that we are maniacally focused on that, and we're not focused on I don't know managing multiple layers of politics and internal bureaucracy and you know, big companies have advantages because they can get on a particular bead and really stay organized around and execute against a, a particular idea. Startups have the advantage of they can be really, really focused on a particular market need and, um, and only focused on that rather than um, – and can move very quickly to respond to a market change or to a new opportunity. Very well put and I agree. Um, you know, something really sticks out to me. You have this really, uh, like, calm and cool, like, demeanor. Is there – have you always had that? Like, it, like where did this come from? Um, yeah, I mean, I think it's part of my personality. It's not a – it's not a practiced thing or anything. It's just – it is kind of who I am. Got it, man. No, because I think it's something that all – all entrepreneurs, first of all, could use. Um, I think anyone in the startup world could use too. It just you seem very calm and collected, and you're just just a cool guy in general. So, um, if you have any practices you can share, you know, we'd love to hear them. But this is, doesn't seem like you're practicing anything, right? Um, I, I would say that over the years, you know, I'm 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 much older than most uh, entrepreneurs, uh, and I, a couple things I have learned over time is is to um, is to it's part of the advantage of a startup is that you are completely obsessed with it. Like every entrepreneur will tell you the same thing. Like you just can't think about anything else. Uh, it's important. It's one of the important skills. I, I think though it really helps to provide, to have perspective and to take time uh, for yourself and to take time for the important people in your life. Um, uh, because it is part of what allows you to, st- to stay centered, not get whipsawed by <laughs> like the crazy ups and downs of a startup, um, which which really are some of the more extreme experiences in uh, in in least a, in a normal uh, life in the modern world. I mean, I'm sure that there are other more extreme things that that. Um, uh, our veterans coming back from from Iraq and Afghanistan have seen, um, and there are other things in the world. But you know, for certainly in the business world, it's it's one of the most extreme things you can go through. Okay. And when you say take time for your family and friends, are you saying you know? Because I know a lot of startup founders like to work seven days a week, and that's all they do. And you know, I hear other entrepreneurs they say, "Oh, I hate playing with my kids. Maybe I'm just a bad parent. I just think about work all the time." So, do you have any process in mind where it's like? You yeah, know, you take Sunday off. You take Saturday off too. Like, what are you? Doing? I um. So one important practice I've got is that um, when I I've got kids, they're, they're twins, thirteen years old. Um, is that when I get home, I 
put my phone and my computer uh, down for a little bit. And between then and uh, typically through uh, dinner, uh, we eat dinner together, I try to completely disconnect from that for what ends up being between one and maximum three hours. And to be honest, this is a struggle. I don't pretend that I am uh, fantastic at this, but it is part of what I try to do to like, be present during that time and, and be connected because um, I don't think it's necessarily about... It does matter how much time is put into it, but more than anything, it's like, okay, let's at least spend a little bit of time where I'm not thinking about work. I'm thinking about my family. And, um, I, and you know, you kind of put in place a family, friends, or, or time for yourself. Uh, I think I, it is important because you need some perspective on the world in order to execute well on a particular uh, product experience. There's maniacal focus of, like, let's get this done. And there's also understanding the, the broader world and, and your place in it. Uh, and that does come with perspective. Got it. And when you say you, you try to disconnect, you know, ballpark, what percentage of the time do you think you actually succeed at disconnecting for that, you know, one to three hours? Boy, you really, uh, it's, uh, um, honestly, um, these days, maybe I'm able to do it about 50% of the time. Okay, cool. Ballpark is good. Um, and one of the things I, I wanted to touch on also as well is, um, you know, you have you have Spring Ventures and you are, I believe, the founder of that? Yes. Okay. Can you tell us a, a little bit about what Spring Ventures is exactly? Yeah, so Spring Ventures is a, um, uh, a platform for investment. It's... You could either call it a super angel fund or a very small uh, VC fund. Um, you know, successful investments out of it uh, include uh, LinkedIn and Solazon. Um, both, both of those are two IPOs. Um, and then there's a number of other investments in it. Uh, I have I've stopped making new investments out of it um, so that I can focus on on Sidecar. Um, I don't. I don't think it's really possible to to run a company and and have your attention diverted into you know too many other any other uh, not any other but too many other directions. Got it. And, and I got to tell you, making intelligent investments it's tough and it's it takes a lot of attention and focus. And it's, uh, I, I did try it for a while and I just decided it's not it's not possible to have that kind of focus. Okay. And for for the I'm sure there's prospective uh, you know angel investors or maybe even future VCs in the audience. So can you tell us the difference between being a VC and a CEO? Uh-huh. You know, I remember when when I uh, I took a break, and after um, after being an operator, and uh, went around and started talking to investors because I was going to focus on being an investor. And one of the lines I used was, well, one of the reasons I want to focus on investing right now is my kids are young and the, you know, it's just not as intense and it's not as many hours, et cetera. And I could predict to a person the investors that had never been operators because they always got defensive. Like, well, we work hard and we roll up our sleeves and blah, blah, blah. The ones that have been operators are like, yeah, 
Yeah, you're right. (laughs) I mean, it's not many investors work really hard. They work long hours. But there's a difference. And the difference is you're not maniacally obsessed. And, um, you know, I think it's, it's easier to put aside your work at the end of the day when you've got, you know, 15, 20 investments um, and, you know, both the, the terror and the elation are, are less because, you know, you have a big hit. That's awesome. You know, but it's balanced out by some others that don't do so well. And so, it, it, you know, you're, you're in the business of managing a portfolio. And uh, as an entrepreneur, it is not about a portfolio. <laughs> like, you're all in on one thing. And so that has its that has its rewards and it has its uh, it has its downsides and you know it kind of depends on not only what you like but I think also uh, what else is going on in your life. Got it. Okay. And so what you know you've had some success with your investments. Uh, so what's what are what's what's some things you can re- recommend? Like what's the Neil's process for determining if it's a worthy investment or not? Very high level. Well, I mean, I, I'm not going to bore folks with the same stuff that you can read out. Uh, I mean, I, I certainly look for a lot of the same things that, uh, that all investors in this category look for. Um, I would imp- – I don't know if your audience is entirely folks who are uh, looking at this kind of equity venture style of investment. Um, but I think one important thing to understand – for entrepreneurs broadly is that that's only one particular style of investment, one particular style of mm. building companies. And it's all, and it's also changes the way you think about what kind of investments you make. Um, you know, I looked at other styles of investment as well, uh, ones that are more based on cash flow. Um, and it's, and I've even looked at debt offerings and things like that. And, it's just a different set of risks, a different um, – so in, in this world of fast equity growth, like this entire world of venture is all about you're going to own a piece of a company and you want that piece of a company to be worth a lot more down the road and you're willing to take a risk that your other bets on pieces of companies are, are not going to work out as well. Um, so you're looking for the ability to grow rapidly. You're looking for teams that can be adaptable and can move fast. Um, and you're looking for uh, a category and a set of ideas that can that have low barriers to get going so that the small company can grow rapidly, but where barriers build over time. Now, you compare that to other categories, like um, I mean, to take easy examples that people can relate to of restaurants or movies. Or, or commercial real estate. Like these are all things where that are based on cash flow, and there you're much, much more focused about um, wanting to ensure that you get to a real cash flow stream coming back to you. Uh, you might also make money off of selling that property, whatever it is, whether it's commercial property or restaurant or whatever. Um, but you're almost always making most of your money on on the actual cash flow. So you're much more focused on how do you get to those those cash flows where are you in the sequence of cash flows as compared to where are you in the ownership of the company um 
anyway, just one example of a different style of investing. And, and if you're an entrepreneur and you're thinking about, okay, how do I raise money for this company? It's important to understand the motivations of the different kinds of capital out there and how that matches up to what you're trying to get done. Um, I always tell entrepreneurs that the single best source of revenue, I mean, sorry, the single best source of, of, of financing is actually revenue from your customer. Um, it's rare the company that can actually do that, but uh, sometimes sometimes it happens. And um, you know, the second best source of, reven- of, of funding is your customer giving you some advance payment, some some debt kind of structure that 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 um, is premised on you delivering your product, um, uh, because it's directly connected to your offering. It, I mean, there's a lot of reasons why that's a really good thing if you can get it. Again, not that easy to get. Um, you know, generally speaking, debt and uh, things like government grants are a better deal for the entrepreneur. The problem is, again, it's pretty hard to get those things, which brings you to equity. In other words, selling a piece of your company. It's actually the most expensive way to finance your company. Um, but if you have the right characteristics of your company where you think you can have it grow very rapidly, then uh, selling a piece of it can, can make a lot of sense, selling it to this style of investor. Um, anyway, there's a lot more to talk about on that front, but I, I think your question was, how do I think about investments? And it, um, <laughs> so we didn't really talk about that. Um, no, man. No, this is this is really helpful. Let's let's continue. Um, I mean, the way I think about investments, I do tend to emphasize the quality of the of the of the entrepreneur, um, because I feel like a great entrepreneur can take uh, a category, an idea that is just good, and turn it into something that's great. Um, and you know, not all investors have that attitude. Some investors, especially uh, some VCs, have more an attitude of all that matters is traction of the idea itself. And you know, if the team's not that great, they'll they'll find a new team. Um, uh, I tend to lean more on the side of I'm making the bet on on the person in the team. Got it. Okay, cool. And this is really interesting. The the stuff you talked about, you know, the, the different ways of financing and all that. You know, uh, besides using Google, which Google's uh, search results are sometimes uh, have have more more to be desired. I mean, where where can one go to learn about more of this stuff? Uh, gosh, that's a good question. Um, well, I think it's useful to kind of know about the names of these different categories of capital. Um, uh, I mean, you know, what I just named these, um, uh, looking at the way that, that commercial real estate's financed, um, commercial real estate's probably the, the easiest one to understand because there's a lot of it out there mm-hmm. and, uh, and, and there's probably a lot of explanations of how those financing structures are set up. Um, Uh, part of the reason I learned a lot about this stuff is because of uh, investments in clean tech. That, and a lot of clean tech investments, there's the standard kind of VC stuff, but there's also elements of it that are very related to the way commercial real estate is uh, is financed. Um, 
gosh, I don't have any good reference points. You know, there's there's textbooks and books on on venture finance, uh, and then there's going to be books on on debt financing, of which there are a gazillion different varieties. Um, you know, I'm sure there are some resources out there specifically on uh, on this what I keep referring to as commercial real estate, but it's really financing that's based on uh, being paid back through cash flow rather than being paid back through selling the equity. Um, anyway, I, I don't have a good answer for you other than some places to, to, to refine your Google searches. Got it. No, I, I think that's really helpful because you know you don't know what you don't know, and at least you're giving people a starting point here. So thanks for that. Mm-hmm. Uh, so what's what's one piece of advice you'd give to your your 25 year old self? Mm-hmm. 25. Um, I think at 25, I would have told myself um, uh, that, especially if I were 25 today, uh, that if you want to that that if you want to be an entrepreneur, uh, now is a better time than uh, perhaps ever, especially in the world of information technology. Um, and that you should spend some time learning the basic techniques by you know, ideally working at a startup, um, but then try it because uh, there's nothing like actually trying it. Um, and one of the things that I realized at Sidecar is that almost everybody there uh, wants to be an entrepreneur uh, someday. Uh, as we get bigger and bigger, maybe there are not as many people that are in that category, but I, I try to have a culture of talking a lot about the experience of, uh, and as we're going through different experiences, like what, uh, what we're learning, and um, we're big fans of the lean startup methodologies and uh, deploying that. Um, and making that part of the, the, the company culture. Um, but also just talking about, I don't know, things like how do financings work and um, uh, management structures and you know, just simple lightweight processes that, that are important to implement. All, all the kind of, they're kind of startup 101, but there's nothing like actually doing it right. um, to, to, to build that experience base. Got it. Okay, couldn't agree more. What's one uh, What's one productivity hack you can share with the audience? Um, you know, um, I like um, probably my favorite right now is just trying to identify maximum three things that you absolutely positively want to get done that day, and. Um, and kind of having a separate list for it versus what I do is I write it down, you know, old school pencil and paper. Uh, and then I've got my electronic to-do list that's kind of all my different tasks. But um, I find that, that it's like that focus, even though I might have a bunch of meetings and a bunch of different things going on that day, knowing that, okay, I know that there's at least a couple of things that I got to get done today, mm-hmm. um, and they're usually not the, you know, whatever. Send an email to follow up about something. Uh, it's more. They tend to be more um, 
they tend to be more on the important side rather than the urgent side, to use uh, that uh, Stephen Covey breakdown. Got it. Okay, cool. Yeah. Um, and final question from my side, what's one must-read book for the audience that you can recommend? So for an audience of entrepreneurs, I think um, I really have been influenced by by uh, Eric Reese's uh, Lean Startup and and uh, and then also um, Ash Maria's uh, Running Lean. Um, I really I find those important. Uh, Trying to think if there's anything else. I mean, there's there's other books. But they're not. They're not really businessy books. Could be anything. I would love to hear it. Um, you know, I I was pretty influenced by. Um, I, I like um, Stephen Johnson's. I'm trying to see it on my shelf here. Um, I think it's called Future Tense. It basically talks about the power of of uh, peer networks and like their profound ability to change um, really all aspects of society um, and certainly uh, the world of business. Um, That deeply affects my thinking. And I, I think that I think the ability of individual actors, people to, uh, to work together is is a capability that was kind of architecturally enabled by the internet and uh, is spreading. I mean, certainly Sidecar is part of that movement, but it is spreading and it's going to continue to spread to pretty much all sectors of the economy. I think it's going to spread beyond that. I think it's going to spread to sectors. It's going to transform the way we think about government, the way we think about um even other segments of society, how we think about philanthropy, how we think about um, science, and, and potentially even how we think about religion. It's, um, I think it's a deeply profound thing that's going on that we're living through, that we are participating in, that we're building ourselves. Um, it, it's one of the things that makes me excited about the era that we're in. Okay. And you said that book was called, it's from Stephen Johnson, called Feature Tents? I think it's called Future Tense. Future Tense. Um, yeah. Got it. Okay. I'm going to I'm gonna leave that in the resources for the, for the audience, and that sounds like okay. something I want to pick up too. But um, wonderful. Um, Sunil, thanks so much for joining us. Um, everyone, check out Sidecar. It's, it's, it sounds like it's, it's a brand new Sidecar. I'm definitely yeah. going to be you know, checking it out again. So uh, thanks so much. Awesome. Great to talk to you, Art.